You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Strange Familiars, covering a range of topics from the paranormal. Cryptids, mythology, the occult, hauntings, UFOs, weird history, and folklore. Wherever you are listening to Strange Familiars, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or any other service, please subscribe and click the like button, and share the Strange Familiars pages and stories on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. And of course you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars. I know I'm a little bit late with this episode. I had a guest cancel on me at the last minute, and the show I had planned, I had to kind of shuffle. Luckily, I was contacted by Ines and was able to get this show together, so sorry I'm a little bit late. If you like what we do, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. We have no sponsors, no commercials, no grants. Our patrons help us make the show. There's all kinds of reward levels there. You can go to Patreon and see different things, t-shirts, stickers, etc. Or you can just go in at $3 a month and get audio bonuses. We usually do a full bonus episode every month for our patrons. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And as always, I'd like to thank our patrons for supporting the show. Ness contacted me after the last show, the Michaud Roar, 
in which we mentioned the White Lady of Pondbank. She wrote from France. I didn't know we had any listeners in France, so that was pretty amazing. But even more amazing than this, she wrote about seeing some of these ghostly apparitions, these women in white. And there's a strong tradition of this in France, as she told me. She herself has seen one of these women in white, as you'll hear, as did many of her classmates and even her brother. We talk about some of the surviving folklore in France, about these women in white in general and how they manifest in the different regions of France. We get into a little bit about a river monster or a lake monster of some sort and some other ghostly encounters. So it's all very interesting. And for me, it was really, really neat to step outside of not just Pennsylvania, but outside of the United States and get some folklore from Europe and France specifically. We are talking with Ines tonight, who contacted me from France. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. You contacted me in regards specifically to the when we were talking about the white lady phenomenon. And you said that there's a, a very strong tradition of this in France. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been actually doing a lot of research on my part during the, the days uh, between when I first sent the mail and the, well, right now. And I found a lot of interesting things, so I think I have a lot to talk about, actually. But there is all the part about the folklore and the history that I'm very interested about. But the reason why I really sent the mail is because I personally have a lot of white lady stories. Since I, I went to school in a, in a high school that was actually a castle that was in middle of the forest in France. Can I say the name of the... Oh, sure. Yeah. If anyone wants to check it online or to look at photos or anything, it's called Saint-Michel de Perret. And now we'll spell it because that will not make a lot of sense for people. <laughs> so it's Saint, Saint Michael. And, so, and then it's de Perret, so D-E-S. And then later, P-E-R-R-A-S. I think you can just... Put it in the description of the video sure. on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Just and also with the photos. But it's, it's a very small village and it's a, a very small town uh, and a very small castle. And it's actually very interesting from a historical point of view because it's the first and only castle in France where it has five sides to the castle and every side is from a different century. So it's actually classified as a historical monument, but it was a high school. It became a um, it was a private property from the, the family that lived there. But then during the Second World War, it, it was used by the French army to hide orphans, war orphans and, uh, and children. And ever since, it has been a school. And sadly, now it's, well, two years ago, it went bankrupt. It was a private school. And so now no one's living in it. Uh, so it's, well, abandoned. But people can still can still visit. I, I sometimes go, go back there, but I went to school there for five years, and my brother and my sister also went to school there, so it's a very place I'm very familiar with, and we had our own uh, white lady there, so I have a lot of stories from all my, my old classmates and my, my siblings of, well, them seeing the white lady. What part of France is this in? Uh, actually, that's a very interesting 
point that I wanted to make because there are a lot of different types of white ladies. And you mentioned in your email that you knew about this tradition of like white female operations in Germany. And the interesting thing is that in France, we have different subsets of uh, white ladies, I would say, because the white ladies in Germany are very much like harbingers of dupe, like they're, they're death messengers and they, they are that type of figure. But in France, we have different uh, white ladies depending on different regions. I'm from the west of France, the northwest of France, and we have different types of white ladies depending on the regions. So, for example, in Bretagne, so I, Brittany, I think, in English, mm-hmm. yeah, which is like the nose of France. Uh, we have white ladies that are very different, very different from the west of France, and then the 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 south east of France. In the southeast of France, you have a very very strong tradition of uh, white ladies, but they're different. They're what what I found actually really interesting while doing research, and it reminded me of all the stories that you you you've had on your podcast about like those white operations being linked with. Bigfoot or something like that, because what's very interesting is that the white ladies in the south of France, for example, in the Pyrenees, is it pronounced Pyrenees? The yes. French mm-hmm. mountains of the south of French, France, those white ladies are very often seen near prehistorical habitat sites, like where we found also caves where there were Neanderthal paintings and things like that. So I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Oh, that but is. Those, those types of white ladies are generally very much associated with roads. So they stay on the side of roads or the sides of creeks. And they're either seen by people like who are walking, who are biking, or on their cars. They're like apparitions that aren't very... Like you have like one chance in a million to see them. Whereas in the west of France, where I'm from, they're very much associated with forests and castles and you see them very often. Uh, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. It does, yes. Like the ones of the south of France are like, they're random encounters, but the ones in the west of France are very much associated with the place. Specific. And you will see them like multiple times, yeah, multiple times a month. They, they, there's a lot of operations. In general, uh, these are all almost, or these are always considered ghosts? Well, Actually, it depends, once again, because the, the ones on the south of France, they're considered either ghosts or they're normally they're ghosts, but they're not ghosts that are linked to specific people. Whereas in the west of France, they're very much considered to be linked with a specific people. Like, for example, I was thinking about the famous white ladies of the region because, well, the one in my school is not a famous white lady. I mean, it's famous amongst all of my classmates and all the, the people who live there, but it's not like a touristic attraction. And in the region where I live, we have actually a lot of uh, white ladies. The region where I live is between Le Mans and Angers, which are two cities that are, I, I think American listeners will know him because it's the Chateau de la, de la Loire. So, you know, all the traditional beautiful French castles mm-hmm. along the, the Loire. Yes. All these white ladies are very much linked to a specific castle or a specific house. And these are very much ghosts. The ones from the south of France can be just like, sometimes they're associated with old rock formations and they're said to be just like images or a mirage to cause people to have car accidents. But the ones in our region are very much associated with ghosts. Oh, that's and, interesting. So the other ones could almost be like some sort of version of the Fae or uh, the ones from the south. 
Oh, they are very much the same. And that's actually the third type of white lady that we have that's very interesting. That's what I, I mentioned, Brittany, is that the region where I am is not Brittany. But in Brittany, you have the third kind of white lady, which is very much the same. And they're straight up considered fae. And the thing that's very interesting about France, and I think people don't really think about this when they think about our folklore and things like that, but we used to have a country that had a lot of different languages and a lot of different religions. And I think, I, I like to think about it with a, a focus on religion, because the, in the south of France, when you, where you have all these white lady apparitions, it, it's a very Protestant region. The region where I'm from is a very Catholic region. And uh, for Brittany, where you have white ladies that are absolutely associated with the Fae, the, it, like it's not even a question, it's like, yeah, it's Fae. That's the um, Brittany and Brittany's Celtic. So it's the, exactly the same uh, myth and exactly the same legends you, you will find in, in Scotland or in Ireland and with different languages. And they're also very much associated in Brittany with light in the wood phenomenon. Is the, oh, is the, yeah. And these ones are considered to be, yeah, to be fairies, to be fae. No, not a ghost of people who actually live there. Oh, uh, that's very, very interesting. The, the way that this ties in, well, the longer I do this, the more I see just so much of aspects of all of the, the sort of paranormal or the folkloric legends just tie in with other ones all over the world, at, at least in the West, although there are connections even uh, elsewhere in African tales and in, in Asian tales and so forth. But it feels very much like when the Europeans came to America, we brought the folklore with us. And it's very, very interesting that how much of it is the same throughout the, you know, throughout Europe and, and also uh, at least the European population in, in America. Yeah, and, and I think one of the, the elements that's very telling about that is that the only really well-known and, and very famous white lady story in North America is actually in Quebec. So you can clearly see that the link between the French folklore and the, the folklore of people of Quebec, which are mostly French yes. uh, of origin. So we well, have a lot of white lady stories just in Quebec. And, well, I don't think there are many, many white lady stories in the United States that are very like iconic or yeah whatever. i mean everybody seems to have their i mean it's the most common seen ghostly phenomenon this is like a, a, a lady in white but it's very they're very non-specific they, they tend to be just you know someone says oh i saw a ghost it was a lady in white you know whatever the case is locally i know there's one associated with cador's furnace which is the, the toad road area where, where i spend a lot of time but it's not specific at all it's assumed to be you know, a lady who lived there or something, but it's not, there's not a lot of information to go with it other than it's a ghost that people see. Yeah. For us, actually, in the, the white ladies, or actually there is also green ladies in the west of France, which are basically the same thing, they're apparitions, but they're greenish in color instead of being really white or white bluish. And there's actually one of the most famous ones is in a castle, very famous castle called the Castle of Brissac, which is also very close to where I live now. And we have her name. She's very famous. She's said to haunt the castle. So every time it's very much associated with someone who used to live there, an actual person. And generally it's figures from the Middle Ages. So it's, it's very much said to be a ghost, a ghostly, ghostly apparition. And also I wanted to, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I wanted to mention, going back to the, the white ladies of Brittany, one thing that's very interesting too is that not only are they very much associated with the lights in the wood phenomenon, and it's said also that they will try to, to make you 
to to take you to the woods so that you get lost while you know classic fae story and they're also very much associated with horsehair braiding which is i know oh yes you you find a lot in fae stories so the white ladies of britain are very much associated with light in the wood and horse breeding which is absolutely not the case for the white ladies of the south of france and absolutely not the case for the the ones in my region that's very interesting though that's another thing very common feature that jumps around of course in the nordic and germanic that would have been a nightmare which was a female that braided the horse hairs uh sometimes trolls but over here, it blames on witches, and uh, in recent times, on Bigfoot. People will blame Bigfoot on braiding horsehair, which is very, it's just so interesting how the stuff just continues through time. And what personally I find very interesting about the White Lady, though, is that, as I mentioned, I think it's very much, I mean, for friends, I think it's very much in relation to religion. Because we have so few stories of the paranormal in France, especially where I live. Uh, we have a ton of paranormal stories in Brittany because they're a different culture, they're a different language, they're Celtic people. But for the rest of French, especially the parts that are very, very Catholic, which is, I mean, we're the like the most Catholic part of the country. You have no story, you have no folklore because everything was destroyed. The church was very systematic in erasing any idea of the paranormal, any idea of fae stories. And the only thing that's left pretty much the only thing that's left is the white ladies. So I also thought that was very interesting how all the other stories were erased and all the other myths are pretty much dead, but the white lady still very much alive, is still very much alive in, in all these regions that are very Catholic regions. And that having grown up Catholic, I'd say it's very, very interesting that the only paranormal phenomenon that is allowed to survive is that of a woman in white, which suggests yeah. virginity. Yeah, huh? <laughs> that's that's a very Catholic. Even if it was done subconsciously, it's very very Catholic. Yeah, I think so because I just mentioned also the Green Ladies. And when you look at ghost stories, I'm really going to use the the examples that are close to my home and the the places I've actually visited. But uh, for the Castle of Brissac, where it's a Green Lady, she was one of the mistresses of one of the the lords that lived there. She was actually the half sister of the King Louis the Eleventh. And she was known to be a very beautiful, very seductive woman. And she's the green lady. And then you have another castle. You have the castle of Pensée, which is uh, also in the region where you have a white lady. And she was said to be the wife of the, the lord of the castle. And she was a very puce, very, very gentle woman. And so you have this very, very religious gentlewoman that ends up being a white lady. And then the, the seductive, mean woman who cheated on her husband that ends up being a green lady so uh, ah yes they were not being very subtle here <laughs> yeah the symbolism is a uh, is yeah, a great on the surface thing yeah <laughs> well how much more of the history do you want to go into I, I could listen all night if you have more or if you wanted to get to your experiences i'm you know we can bounce back and forth if it's up to you I actually have my notes because I'm a, <laughs> an organized person. So I have my notes. So if you want me to like give you a menu and then you choose from it. But I actually had some other bits of history about the white lady oh, in the please. region. Uh, please. Yeah. <laughs> actually, a thing that's very interesting also I find is that, as I mentioned to you in the email, here in France, I know that in the United States there is also a stigma about talking about the paranormal, but here it's like 10 times more intense, like, there's not even one TV show on any network that talks about the paranormal, so finding information is very difficult. And yet one of the big events we have every year involves a light show about the white lady. So I also think that was very interesting, and she's very much 
considered part of the the history and the folklore here and it's the only paranormal and folk things that revolve around folklore around here in the region also one thing i found very interesting that's not specifically about the white lady but really about the area where i am for now i've been talking about i mean french people would say it's a big area but i, I actually grew up in argentina so i i have i think perceptions of space that are closer to an american for me a one hour a one hour drive is really like right next to where you are sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> where to a french person 10 minutes is is already very far but the castles i've mentioned so far are all in in like the same region geographically which would be like the equivalent of a county i think in in the united states okay but if we want to talk about the history of the castle where my own experiences happen i think that there is also very interesting elements of history there and here i'm really talking about all the places i'm going to mention you can go from one place to another in five minutes, ten minutes in a car. So it's really, really, really all in the same place. And very interestingly, I, I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of Bluebeard. Yes. Yeah, well, actually, in the castle that's next to the castle where my school was, it's one of the castles that was actually owned by the men who inspired Bluebeard, who's called Gilles Doré, and there's a lot of ghost stories there too so you know there's that kind of like dark energy where people said like yeah there were bodies found there and there's apparitions and it's weird because Gilles de actually didn't stay very much uh, in this castle it was given to his brother and yet there's a lot of ghost stories and also one of the only haunted houses in the region is also in the same village so and it has nothing to do with it said to be haunted by orphans from the the second world war but it's very strange to me that everything paranormal in the region is centered like in the the same five miles radius right uh, yeah and, and something that really made me laugh when i looked at it because I, I was thinking about you while i was patrolling the area then i noticed that it's one of the only foundries in the entire region is also in the same village like the, uh. <laughs> So I, I thought he's going to be happy about this. <laughs> it's, it actually shocked me because I knew there was an abandoned, big abandoned uh, building, but I, I actually never checked what it was. And then I asked the local historical society and they told me, yeah, yeah, it used to be a, a giant foundry. It was a, a metal workshop. It was where all the, the blacks, blacksmiths uh, of the region worked, actually. And it's closed. And wow. also all, all of it. There is um, the river Sart, Sart that goes through all these places. And as I mentioned also in my email, one of the affluents of, of this river is the one where we have one of the very, very rare lake sea monsters of France, which is La Peluda. Uh, very interestingly, it's a, it's a hairy monster. It's said to be a very hairy monster that lives in the water and it lives there. And we can honestly like count the number of mystical creatures in France. You can count them on one hand. So having one here and having it in the river that goes across the village is also, I think, very interesting. That is very interesting. I yeah. have never heard of a, of a hairy... Not, uh, river monsters aren't my specialty, so they, they may in fact exist. But uh, just in passing, I have never heard of a, a hairy river monster. It's, is it supposed to be man-shaped or more like a serpent or, or some other kind of sea creature? It's, it's, you know, one of those weird medieval monsters where it's a, a mix of everything. Okay. So, actually, the name itself means the hairy one. So it's either La Peluda, which is the, the hairy one in Spanish, or La Veluche in French, which is also the hairy one. And it's supposed to look kind of like 
a mix between a bear and a seal. Like it's not really. It's said to have. It's said to have like um, a very bear-like body, but a serpent's face. So a weird, weird face with a like four limbs and uh, and pretty big. And it's once, of course, they mentioned that it was killed by a saint, and ever since uh, that those days, we've never seen it again. Ah. But, yeah, it's it's never mentioned anymore. But it's it's one of the very very few monsters that we have in in France, and I think it's very one of the very rare water monsters. I just remember two things about that: the Native Americans here had water panthers, which was a creature that they would uh, it, kind of a combination between a panther and a seal. I think uh, in Pennsylvania, there's some uh, rock art of water panthers. And do you know the name of the saint that supposedly? Killed the monster. Well, of course, it's Saint George. What do you expect? Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who else could it be? <laughs> Which is why I think that there are some accounts that it was a dragon. I don't pay them much mind because I think they really they were like, we have to get Saint George in there, so they said it was a dragon. But all the earlier documents you can find mention a, a four-limbed hairy monster. So I think all the ones where it's a dragon, all the representations or the text where it's dragons are very much because. They wanted to have their good little St. George story. <laughs> was he known to be to be in the area? No, oh. he wasn't. But, oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I guess they wanted their, their slain dragon. So oh, they, you, you, they decided, oh, well, it fits well enough. We'll do this. Yeah, you'd think they'd find a, a local saint. Because, uh, I mean, there, there, are, there are other dragon-slaying saints here and there. There's a wonderful story of uh, St. Leonard who slew a dragon and, and he was wounded by the dragon and wherever his blood dropped on the ground, white lilies grew up. And in uh, St. Leonard's Wood in England, which is not much of a wood anymore, it's, it's a few trees, I believe now, but white lilies still grow there. Oh, nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think they were very imaginative. But I, I think they really tried to, to make a very cookie cutter story fits you know because sure. the, the Peluda story was very old so I think yes. it was very much trying to tie it in with Catholic religion more than anything yeah and I think in a way that was you know if you could tie it to a saint even if it wasn't originally with that saint that's was a way to help the folklore survive I think people knew Again, whether it was subconscious or not, they they knew the folklore was getting absorbed or forgotten or even banned by the church. So if they could couch it as a saint story, it's one way to help it survive. And, and you know, I've actually been thinking about it in terms of history. And I think one of the other things that's very interesting is that I mentioned like religion and I mentioned how the French view those kind of things with the paranormal and everything. And one other element that I think is, is very interesting is that the, the village where the, the castle is is actually the first village in the entire country that decided to rebel against the king during the French Revolution. So to find all these old stories and all this folklore in the, the one region that decided to rebel against the king, I think it's very interesting. And yeah. I also wanted to, to mention local pride of my school, <laughs> being the first one to rebel against the king. Heck yeah. But it's, it's very telling because you go very much, you can go very close to, to Vendée, which is the region right next to, to Sartre, and you will not find these stories. You won't, won't find these stories. Well, let's continue with the, the other stories in the area. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But I, no, I, no, it's okay. When there's uh, monsters, I get, I get excited. <laughs> 
Well, I, I think it's like the, the only monster because, and again, what, what I, I thought was interesting in a, in a very bigger sense than you had listeners mentioning, oh yeah, I saw the white ladies and then I saw other creatures. And one other thing that's interesting is that all the, a lot of the men wolf stories from the South of France, we, ha we have the very rare monsters that we have are, are wolf monsters or dogmen. So, well, I think they, no one in France will call them dogmen, but I will. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're very much dogmen. Uh, we have the, the Givaudan Beast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Oh, yes. And well, it's, it's in the exact same region as all these white ladies from the, the south of France. So once again, you, you can find some parallels between all these monsters and all these apparitions of, of women. Is this a werewolf tradition going back? Is it older traditions of, of these wolf creatures? I guess I'm asking. Yeah. So yeah that, it's, it's old, old stories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they would have been considered werewolves at that time. Well, they, some of them were considered werewolves, but for the Givodombist, it's, it's very, I mean, they don't use wolfmen and then they don't use werewolf much. It's very much considered to be a, a monstrous wolf, a, a monstrous dog, giant dog. It's not very much, it's not often mentioned as, as having any human features, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Did that turn out to be a somewhat, and I'm, I'm getting the movie confused, I think, with the real story. <laughs> Did it turn out to be like someone had a pet tiger or something? Actually, we don't really, I don't think we have a very definitive answer to that. Some people mention that, yeah, it was actually a bear. Some people say, yeah, it was actually, yeah, a pet tiger from some lord of the ridge uh, that lived there. But there is not, not a definitive answer. But there, there is very much uh, the theory that it was actually a, a panther, I think, that okay. was uh, owned by a, a local lord. But it's not like, Proven, we don't have okay. to saying it, but it's one of the big theories, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry once again. <laughs> Back no, to, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. And also, I think it's uh, it's funny to look at the uh, as I mentioned the all the folklore from Brittany because it's very very different from everything else you'll find in France, as they had been cut off from the entire country and had a different language, a different religion, and and different folklore altogether. So you'll find all these these face stories. All the face come from from Brittany. I mean, they say Merlin lived there, so huh? that's where Morgana lived. That's that's where Merlin died. So it's that region of France. So we have a, a very very strong folklore for all these face stories. That it's very much the all the Celtic stories. It's uh, and in France. So all the stories you can find in Ireland, all the stories you can find in Scotland, you'll find the same ones in Brittany. I'm not sure how generally known that is. It's a very I mean, it's a, just a pocket of Celtic right there yeah. in France. Merlin, of course, was, according to his uh, historian, Geoffrey of Monmouth, was a wild man himself for a time. He went crazy and went off to the wilderness and was, at that point, it was considered his wild man phase. So I always find that very interesting, ties in with the wild man thing. Also, I wanted to mention something. You tell me if uh, I'm getting off track or if it's not interesting. But uh, I actually, I study literature. And uh, one thing that I find very interesting as a, a big fan of literature is that you have a lot, actually, of paranormal stories that are hidden in French fiction and that people don't mention a lot. But I don't know if you know the, the author, um, if you, you've ever read Le Orla, for example. I don't know if you know the story because it's, it, it all happens in the, the same region. No, I'm not familiar with it. Because there's one French author called Guy de Maupassant 
I think that's actually what got me to Bigfoot as a French person, because he actually has a Bigfoot story, and I've never seen it mentioned anywhere. And so I thought it was very interesting. Not only is it a French story, but it's also a story that's featured in one of the most famous books by one of our most famous authors. So if you ever want me to link you to it or, or send it to you, because he was actually very fond of writing. He used to go to the French countryside and gather stories. And this one he actually gathered from one of his friends who was also a writer. And it's about uh, a wild woman attacking one of his, uh, his friends who was a writer. So. Oh, yeah, I'd be very interested in that. Yeah. yeah. And he mentions all the, the stories of the white ladies and the, the ghosts here. And he's from the same region. So he's also from the, the northwest of France. So you have uh, a lot of these, these authors, these French authors who have ghost stories. And most of them are from the, the northwest of France. So there is still this very big tradition of, of all these apparitions and, and specters and monsters. So the, the folklore, in your opinion, was repressed. Is this just a remnant of the church or is this, in modern times, is it just society trying to sort of be more scientific? I think it's both, actually. It's, it's, it's really both. Because you had all this period during the Middle Ages where folklore was very much alive. And then, I mean, I think that's also something that people tend to forget a lot because that's not the image people have of France. But we were the most religious country in Europe. I mean, France was called the little sister of the church for a reason because we were the most religious country in Europe and folklore was decimated. It was destroyed. Brittany only escaped from that because they had a different language and, and they were the poorest region of France so no one really cared about them. But then what happened was with the French Revolution this very extreme view of religion was replaced by a very very extreme view of atheism and like the triumph of science. So we went from a country where everyone was deeply religious and so talking about anything folkloric was bad to a, a country where talking about anything not like quote-unquote real was even worse so I think like French Revolution made it even worse than it already was. For most of what we lost of the folklore, we can blame the church, but I think we can do that in most countries in Europe. But the thing is that in most countries in Europe, as you mentioned before, most of the folklore that already existed got merged into Catholic mythos and or became saint stories or became dragon stories. But in France, because of the French Revolution, mentioning anything that wasn't, once again, quote-unquote, real, like you were a counter-revolutionary, you, you, you were a bigot, you, were, you, you really couldn't talk about anything that wasn't, that wasn't the truth, as they would call it. So we had like that double-edged sword of very much being a, a, being a very extreme religious country and then becoming a very extremely atheist country. Yeah, that'll yeah. do it. <laughs> and I mean, it, it exists everywhere. There's a, there's a certain element of the population who will always look at folklore as being sort of, uh, you know, you're, you're a country bumpkin. If you talk about that stuff, yeah. you're not civilized or, or whatever it is. Also, interestingly, uh, I, I was mentioning the, the region where I'm from, Sartre, and we have Sartre and Mayenne, which, which are strange regions for, for one very interesting fact, I think, in, in terms of folklore, which is like a lot of people in my family are doctors, well, medical practitioners. Uh -huh. And like one of the things you have to do if you want to be a, a doctor in, in the regions of Sartre and Mayenne is you actually have to learn like traditional medicine, which some people would call witchcraft. Mm -hmm. um, here, the, the people who are like healing by witchcrafts, they're called the rabouteux. And so you have to actually learn uh, Rabute medicine and, and cures. These would be like the wise women or the 
the cunning man of the village. Yes, yeah, yeah. They're both actually they're, they're, there's like the same rate of men and women doing it, and they people actually like old people from the countryside actually trust them very much. So you know, plants actually do a lot of stuff. So when you're a doctor, you have to know what kind of things people are putting inside their body. Oh yeah, so yeah. It doesn't interact with their their medication. Yeah, it's a tradition that really only exists here in this region. And it's a surviving tradition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. And the funny thing is that actually like people my age, I mean, I'm 25, and people my age at the university will go like, when you're from this region, will go, oh, did you go see the Rabuteu? I heard you have like back pain. Don't go to your doctor. It won't do anything. So it's not like it's only grandpas and grandmas doing it in the depth of the, the countryside. Like young people active in the city will do it. Of course, everyone else will make fun of us, but people <laughs> do it. Yeah. If it works, it works. Yeah. We're losing a lot of the personal touch in yeah. medical in medical field, and I think that survives in these folk traditions where the wise woman or the cunning man or the powwow doctor, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. Rabuteu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> they will come up with a specific personal recipe for someone, you know, whether it's a combination of charms or natural remedies, whatever the case may be. And I think probably subconsciously that means a lot to a patient, whereas, you know, as opposed to just giving them this here's a generic box of medicine that some corporation made, which may help, but it just, you've lost that, that sort of very, very personalized treatment. Yeah, and, and I mean, generally they take more time to talk to people and to, to get to know them. And sometimes, you know, when you're hard hurting, it's just good to, to talk to someone about it, someone who has the time to listen. So I think that's also a part of why it actually works and people still go to them. I mean, at least here. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So steer it back to the region uh, where your school was. Yes. So if you want, I can go right into my white lady stories of my my school. So as I mentioned, the, the school where I went is a, an, an old castle. We have one part of the castle. Which is the, the oldest part of the castle is the is the 15th century. So it's actually very, I mean, it's an old castle even by French standards. And the thing is that it's surrounded by woods. I think once again, if any Americans want to go and look at the size of the woods, they will, maybe they will think it's a very funny joke on my part, but because they're actually very small. And it shocked me too when I, I went to, I went on Google Earth to check. And actually a lot happened in those woods, even though they were very small. And the way it worked is that at the back of the castle, we had a very, very big field that we call the, the green carpet. And at the end of it, we had a statue of Diane. And right next to the statue of Diane on the right, it was where most people saw the saw this white lady. So, and I, I saw her myself. And one thing I think was very interesting is that when I, I reach out, reached out to my, my siblings and, and my friends to ask them about their own white lady stories of the Alcoholic Saint-Michel, which is the, the name of the school, a lot of them 
talked about it in a very strange way, which I think once again is a very French way where, where they would tell me a very, very detailed story, very emotional story, and they would always end it, but with, but it wasn't real though. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's something that I'm so used to hearing. I mean, in my own family, we have a lot of ghost stories from my grandmother who, who grew up in North, Northern Africa and she, she would always tell me of her very haunted house and, and all her terrifying stories with, but it wasn't real though. Uh, <laughs> so I, I have a lot of stories that end with, but it wasn't real. But since there are so many of them, uh, I think that there has to be like at least some truth to it. And also because I saw it myself. Right, uh, right. But Jesse, it's very interesting also. We have, um, you know, it was a boarding school. And I think what's interesting is the difference of the stories between people who were boarders and people who weren't. Because the people who were in borders would always hear in the daytime. And in the daytime, she was always at the end of what we call the green carpet. Uh, but the people who were borders and so who could hear at night would say she was actually in front of the castle. She was right in the main, uh, in front of the main doors and she would get much closer to the actual castle. Whereas the green carpet is actually very far from the, the entrance of the castle. And actually, when I saw her myself, because uh, I saw her a couple of times, like, not very often in the five years that I've been there, but I saw her a couple of times and I have to admit that even I, every time I saw her, I mean, it didn't feel like anything special. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it was like, yeah, 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 it's a white person, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and and it, it didn't feel like, it didn't. I, I never felt scared. I never felt like mystified. It, it wasn't like a big emotion or anything. And I think that for everyone, it was so casual that no one made, made a big deal out of it so that's why i think so many of the stories end with the with a shrug and the, eh, because for us it was very normal and I, I don't think anyone was ever scared by the the white lady to just describe rapidly what it looked like because once again I, I i mean for me it was always very underwhelming it was just like you were running or you were jogging for the PE class and you would see her and she wouldn't move and then you'd be like did I just saw someone in the woods? So you'd stare and you'd stare and then, well, you'd start running again because the teacher would tell you to start running again and you wouldn't pay it much mind. So I think for most of the people I reached out to, it was the same kind of story. It's like, yeah, we were having a stroll in the woods and we saw her, but well, we had a picnic or, oh yeah, we were smoking and we, we finished smoking. So we didn't, like no one tried to investigate it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, my favorite story there was for my my little brother. My my little brother is very very much a skeptic, and he hates talking about all the things. He makes so much fun of me for loving because I'm I'm really obsessed with Bigfoot, and <laughs> not only makes fun of me because I'm obsessed with Bigfoot while well, being a French person, so with zero chance of ever seeing a Bigfoot. <laughs> but, but also because <laughs> Bigfoot in general is something that you can very much make fun of um, someone for here. Oh, here, um, here as well. <laughs> yeah, here as well. I know, I know. Uh, but, but even he had his story and like, he was telling me like, yes, one of the times that stuck with me the most uh, was when he was keeping class to smoke. He was a bad boy. Uh, and he saw her and he said that it was weird because it, it felt like there was absolutely no noise anywhere. Like it was completely silent. Ah. Uh, and he, he, he finished his cigarette and then he went away and he felt like nothing. And he was, and, and then he ended it with, but it wasn't real though. Uh, <laughs> but then my favorite story was uh, the the one actually from her, the friends of um, the best friends of my my little brother, who were once again skipping class and smoking a cigarette in the the same area. And they said that they all continued smoking, and then they finished 
their cigarette and by the time they were finished smoking, she was not there anymore. And they all looked at each other and said, did you see that? Did you see the lady? And they were like, yeah, yeah, I saw the lady, I saw the lady. And once again, they all shrugged and went like, whatever. But I think the fact that like you're three boys and the three boys see the same thing as at the same place and they saw the lady like everyone else saw the lady. It's like, well, at one point, if everyone sees her, like there's got to be something to to this white lady in the woods. So. Yeah, and they're all describing essentially the same the same person. Yeah, yeah, they're all describing the same same person. I have to admit to my great shame that I, I actually used the the white lady story to my advantage because the the school we were like it was a very small school, but the school went from elementary school to high school, and most of us had like little brothers and little sisters there, and we would very much though use the white lady on the elementary school kids to scare them away from the woods because there were a lot of boars and. Uh, and animals in there so we didn't want them to go in the woods and apparently telling little kids you shouldn't go in the woods because there are boars and boars can kill you doesn't work but telling mm-hmm. them there's a lady that wears white and is in the woods very much scares them so <laughs> i actually used the white lady to keep the little kids safe in the, the school personally my most significant experience in these woods wasn't actually the white lady because once again it was like almost a familiar sight but one of the only experiences that really was seriously traumatic to me was one time where we were in the woods. I already mentioned that the school closed because it was bankrupt. So you can imagine how much sport equipment we had, which was zero. So the only sport we will do, we would do every year was, I don't know what it's called in English, orientation it's called in French. Like you go in the woods and you you're supposed to find spots in the woods. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah and that's what you're graded on. And as I mentioned, I spent five years there and it was my last year. So it was small woods and I had a compass. I had my topographic map and these were woods that we, we lived in there. And it was the only sport that we would do. So imagine how well I know the, these woods. I know them really. If I ever go blind, I can probably go live in, in these woods and it's fine. Um, and I actually, one day I actually got lost in the woods after seeing the white lady. And that was very, very very scary to me because I actually managed to get lost in these very small woods and I ended up at a ravine. We had a ravine that was filled with water only in the winter month. And just like in many stories I've actually heard on other podcasts and on other shows, everything went dead quiet. There was nothing. And I was walking actually, we always had to walk in pairs for the for for the orientation. And just like in movies, like I blinked and my partner wasn't there anymore. And the thing is that I, in my mind, I was lost in these woods for easily like two hours. And at one point I just dropped to my knees and I started crying because I didn't know where I, where I was. And I was walking like in what seemed like straight lines. And once again, I had a compass and I had no idea where I was, which makes no sense because you can walk the entirety of these woods in easily an hour. Like if you walk an hour in any direction, you get out of these woods. And I know all fields that are around the woods. And actually, after a while of being lost, I screamed for my friend, which Bizarrely, I had not screamed so far. I had, I didn't had the idea of calling for help, and I called for help, and immediately my friend answered to me, and I ran uh, like crazy because I thought I was super late and I was gonna get scolded by the teacher for being so late. I remember the first thing I I said to the teacher when I got back was, I, "I'm really sorry, sir. I'm really sorry." And he looked at me like I was crazy, like, "What are you sorry for?" Like, "I'm sorry, I'm late." You weren't late. 
And I really thought I had been gone for like two hours and I had been gone for apparently five minutes and I was totally lost in the woods and I ended up in a part of the woods that I could not recognize, which was crazy to me because not only do I know these woods really like the back of my hand, but I had a map and I had a compass. So it was really the most bizarre experience I've ever had in these woods. And it was right next, when I came out of the woods, I realized that the, the exact place where I, where I came out of the woods was on the right of the end of the green carpet. So where we used to, to see the white lady all the time. And this experience was directly after seeing the white lady or just a time after seeing her? Yeah, it was. I, I had I had already seen her, so I knew that's the area where she was. But I, I didn't see her that day. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just dawned on me like a, a long time later, actually, that, oh, yeah, the place where I exited the wood was exactly the place where I used to see her. So that's really what shocked me when I, I realized because it's also not the place I was when I entered the woods. Right. Yeah. I mean, I talked about on the podcast, having experienced something similar to that. Now I had, uh, James was with me, so it, I was less panicked about it. I was more confused as we were, cause this was maybe an acre of woods. So not, not far. And yeah. we could, we could hear traffic. We were that close to the road where we could hear traffic and we just couldn't, couldn't get to it. It's like we were walking around in circles but we weren't, I mean, to my knowledge, very strange. It was, and uh, again, I think if I was alone, it would have been more frightening, but it was just more confusing because James was there. We're looking at each other like, like we just walked through here on, on, on the way up and there's not that much woods here. What's going on? But, uh, yeah. The, oh yeah. I, I was full scared. I was terrified. That yeah. I, but again, I think if I was alone, I would have been much more frightening. The woods going silent. The fact that time, went wacky as well you know these are you hear in in uh, all manner of paranormal stories also we had one thing happen like in that part of the woods that happened very often was that then i mean right next you had the end of the green carpets then you had the part of the woods where we we used to see the white lady and where i got lost and then right after that you had a, a big ravine as i mentioned that was filled with water but only in the winter month and one thing that was very interesting is that for every summer I was there, there were fires, like spontaneous fires that happened in that ravine. And every time the entire school was like, who did this? Who did this? And the thing is that, as I mentioned, it was a very small school. We would have known who would have done it because there is no way no one would have bragged. Yeah, I'm the one who started the fire in the wood. And no one ever knew who started the fire in the wood. And every year around the same time, which was like right before the classes would end, so like summer there will always be a, a fire in that ravine and it never spread it, it always stayed inside the ravine and it was a big fire and you would come the next day and you would find the entire like bottom of the ravine completely blackened by fire and it happened every year so i don't know if that's something that's ever associated with other areas where weird stuff happens but for us it happened you had fire in the no, in be- very controlled fire very weird yeah, it'd be interesting to look at it. I, I don't know any off the top of my head, but I tend to focus on other details. Another thing I've been finding lately, are there any stories of buried treasure in the area that you know of? Actually, yes. But ah. I think more interesting than buried treasure, what's um, one thing, in, the thing is that, uh, once again, I know that school very, very well. And one thing that you only learn from other students, because we had a lot of like, secret things that yeah well it was a boarding school so you can imagine very small boarding school 
on top of a hill in the middle of the woods. You can imagine how crazy people go, uh, how, how fast and how fast things get very, very crazy. But the thing is that the um, castle where we were actually had a series of underground tunnels that linked to the neighboring castle and the village, like the church. There was one tunnel that went all the way to the church and one other tunnel that went all the way to the, the neighboring castle. And people said that there were stuff buried there, that there were things we can find in, in those underground, but we, we weren't allowed to go there. And after a while, I mean, we used to use the one to go to the church because like the, the mini mart was right next to the church. So <laughs> we would use it to go to like go, go buy candy and, uh, and drinks uh, and then go back. But after a while, it collapsed, so we, we couldn't use it anymore. It was too dangerous. And I know that my class, when I graduated, we actually were the first one to not tell the, kid, the new kids about the, the underground channels because we know it was too dangerous. So I don't think anyone knows besides us because we never told. I, I know I never even told my brother who stayed in the school longer than me because we knew it was too dangerous. But the, my generation of kids who went to the school, we knew there the were underground channels. and. There used to be the story that there were things to find in, in those tunnels. They're uh, not using My most recent uh, sort of connection I've been making, uh, and I just stumbled upon it, I started finding stories of buried treasure in all these, in all these areas, Toad Road and, and Delta, the, the other area I'm very interested in. I, and I started like, wait a minute. And I started talking to other people who have you know, similar areas they go and investigate, and I'm just asking them, any stories of buried treasure there? And everybody seems so far has except for oh, there's a couple that haven't but uh, a surprising number of people said well actually there is and it's not always uh, necessarily gold or money sometimes the, the, there's a, one is a story of a big whiskey barrel that was that when we had uh, prohibition here that was robbed from uh, a town in Pennsylvania that where I used to live in Glenrock right outside of Glenrock there was a distillery that was allowed to keep brewing whiskey for medical reasons during prohibition and gangsters were said to come up and, and they, they robbed them. They stole a huge oak barrel of whiskey. And this is supposed to be buried. And it's, it's buried right in the area of another uh, in Maryland where um, another fellow who, who's experienced a lot of very strange things, lights in the woods and UFO activity and stuff, right where he would experience all that. In the general area, this lost barrel of whiskey is supposed to be buried. So this idea of buried treasure or something valuable or something special being buried is coming up now in these locations. It's very, very interesting. Besides treasure, what we really do have, though, in basically every single one of the stories I've been telling since I, we started this, it's, well, human remains. And, well, I know it's very normal and classic to, to these stories, but one of the things that we, we used to know about these tunnels is that also there were bodies under there. And also in the... The Gidre uh, mentioned, so the, the Bluebeard castle I mentioned, there is also like the strong legend that no one has ever found the human remains, but that there, they, there are human remains, but just no one ever found them. And the big city of Le Mans, which I, I mentioned every year, they do a lights show about the white lady. A few years ago, actually, when I was a student there, they, they started digging in, um, next to the museum where the, the exhibit is. And we actually discovered that it was uh, where all the counter-revolutionaries during the French Revolution were massacred, uh, and they were all buried here. So there was also a very strong connection to human remains in all those places. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's so much history. There's history everywhere, obviously. I think it's a very narrow-minded thing to say when people say, oh, you have so much history 
in, in Europe, well, <laughs> there's, there's history everywhere. I mean, everywhere yeah. that people live, but recorded history, you know, goes back a lot further in Europe than it does in America here. There's so much to find and, and so much that has been lost as well. The sad thing, though, is that, I mean, most of the places I've mentioned and most of the, the legends and everything, they're actually from, from places that are, aren't the most, like, privileged in terms of recorded history. I mean, for example, the south of France, the, the southeast of France uh, and Brittany were, like, the poorest regions of France. So, sadly, I think that's what allowed folklore to remain alive is because no one was really interested in going to these places mm. and establishing themselves and opening, like, libraries or anything. So that's why we have so much oral history from these places, especially in Brittany, just because it was such a poor, desolate region. And, uh, and then for the... For the southeast of France, it's just because it was not fertile land in the mountains. So I think areas with mountains are always full of mystery and, and oral tradition. And for for the, the region where I am, which is Sartis, it's the poorest uh, with Mayenne, which is also where the Habuteux I mentioned live a lot. It's the poorest uh, regions of the, the west of France. So I think it's very much connected that we, we have that oral history and that folklore that stays alive mostly because well people are allowed to continue doing their thing and like no one comes to these regions so it stays protected in a way you saw the white lady more than once yeah how many times did you see her i would say i mean in the five years i was there i i think i, I saw her like at least once a year so i, I would say five times or six times i saw her but once again, I genuinely think that there were moments I saw her and I don't even remember, my brain didn't even register it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like it was... Uh, like it was never place. like big whoa moments. It was always, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, she's here. <laughs> Can you describe her, her general appearance? Well, sometimes it really looked like a person, like straight up, you could see the details of cloth. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's why I think it wasn't scary because I think that if it had been like an ethereal mist or like glowy or anything, it would have been way scarier. The thing is like, it, it really looked just like a normal person. Like every time I saw her, I think the two first times I saw her, I actually thought like, oh, someone left some, some clothes to hang in the, in the woods to dry. Or, oh, someone, what's the word in English? The lab coats. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like one of the the high schoolers who had like left their lab coat in the woods, and then you would get there and saw that there was no one there once you you had seen her disappear when you, and then you realized like after a couple of seconds of looking at it that oh no, it's not that's not some plastic bag that's not that's not a lab coat that's actually a person that's a person that's like you could clearly see there was a head and shoulders and and you could clearly see that it, it was someone but it felt so much like a real person that it wasn't scary. I don't know if it makes sense. I mean, maybe it should have been scary because it looks so much like a person. But the fact that it looks like a real normal person and that you could see the details of the cloth and the the clothes that she was wearing, it wasn't like shocking. It didn't look out of the ordinary. Like your brain only registers, I think, what's weird. And like, well, seeing someone in the woods wearing clothing doesn't seem so weird so it wasn't like you didn't get a strong shock when you would see her but yeah, it very much looked like a, a normal person and then 
when you would like move like to the side or when you were trying to get a better angle of it, either she would fade or she would straight up disappear. Could you put like a period on the clothing? Or Absolutely not. No, it, it, it was like, I'm actually a big like history nerd and uh, I know my fashion. I know my fashion history. And it really just looked like someone had draped like very delicate, very would be either silk or just someone had draped very delicate white fabric on them. It, it didn't have a shape. I mean, the, the silhouette was just pure human, you know, like mm-hmm. she could have been naked on the, living the same silhouette. There, there wasn't anything that looked like a definite historical silhouette underneath. Really just a person with a covered in, in white sheets. And is this pretty much the same thing everyone reports? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So, so no one sees like a medieval gown or, or uh, you know, Victorian era or anything like that? Well, for ours, for the, the Saint-Michel one, yeah, everyone saw the, the same thing. Some white ladies in France like have very, oh yeah, it was a, a lady dressed in Renaissance clothing or something like this. But for our uh, white lady, no, it really just looks like someone who was covered in a white sheet. And everyone just reports the same thing. The same yeah. Thing. yeah. So um, everyone you talk to, that's what they saw. Yeah. Well, officially, they didn't see anything because it's <laughs> not real. But yeah, most most of the people people saw saw the same thing. It was. It also had um the cloth was like semi transparent, and you couldn't see a person underneath. It just had the shape of a person. But yes. You like we never saw a face or anything. Mm-hmm. It, like the it was like she was wearing a. Well, I mean, I say she. I don't know, but it was like she was wearing a, a hood you know, and so yeah. you couldn't see the face. And I think it's pretty interesting that you, you mentioned, like, Catholicism, because, I, I mean, if you asked me to describe it, I, I would say that the, the if you really forced me to mention a style, I would say she very much looked like any normal standard statue of the Virgin Mary, but white. Mm-hmm. And I just wouldn't see her face. Well, it makes you wonder how many of the uh, different Virgin Mary sightings could be interpreted, you know. In a, oh, in abs- a- oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always something I found weird. Actually, I mean, I was raised in a very Catholic family, so I know my I know my saints, I know my stories, and um, you know, like the the apparition in Lourdes in France. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I as a when I was a little kid, I w- always found it weird that they would always mention that the the apparition was white. Because in my head it was like, but it's a Virgin Mary, it should be blue. And so every time I heard one of the stories and they associated it with the Virgin Mary, I always thought, well, it's the Virgin Mary, so it should be blue because that's her color. She's blue. And every time it's white. So I always found it kind of weird when I was a, a little kid. So that, now that you mention it. Uh, yeah. And, and as you said that at the apparition of the uh, Virgin of Guadalupe came to mind and she was wearing green. We were talking yeah. about we're talking about green ladies too. So that's a whole different spin on that. So how many other stories did you collect from people you know? From people I know, the thing is that most of the stories are exactly the same. So, I mean, I'm just going to be telling five times, oh yeah, well, we were talking for P class and we saw her uh, on the corner of the woods. Or, oh yeah, we were smoking a cigarette where, where we were not allowed. And most of the stories actually revolve around people smoking cigarettes because the place where you could see her most of the time, you were hidden be- behind the statue that was at the end of the, of the green carpet. So 
that's why a lot of people went there and most people saw her there and most of the time it's it's the same thing like oh yeah we were smoking or we were playing cards or we were like messing around and we, we saw her and no one said anything everyone went silent and then well she she just she just wasn't there and we looked at each other and say well, did you see that yeah yeah and then went on so it's, it's always the same-ish story and the only stories that are a bit different as i mentioned are the one from the borders who would see her in the inner courtyard of the castle at night and once again i mean i can also send you pictures of this we have two statues of saints that are in the courtyard and she would generally be sitting on, on one of them she would be sitting on the, the one on the left from if you looked at the same angle as the one you looked at, uh, you looked at the the green carpet, and that's the only difference really. It's that at night she would get inside the courtyard, and during the day she was always in the woods. I don't know if it seems special to you having gone there. It probably seemed more matter of fact, but boy, going to uh, high school in a castle sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is always so jealous of me. Yeah, and, and honestly, honest, I'm not even going to lie. It was absolutely amazing. It was awesome, and I oh, loved it. it. Like I'm it. so sad it went bankrupt, and it's not at school anymore. It really, it's bre- it breaks my heart because my family travels a lot, and I grew up in Argentina. We're homeschooled, so I went from being homeschooled to going to school in a castle and it was so much fun because it was such a small school so everyone knew each other there was only one teacher by subject for the entire school so i'd like to imagine how small that was yeah uh, it sounds incredible to jump back to the green carpet area you said there was a statue of diana there as in the yeah the... yeah of, uh, diana had the the huntress that's interesting as well and that was put there by anyone specifically or yeah it was it was put there by the the owners of the castle i mean the the family that owned the castle actually still exists and they're they're still around they just donated the the school as a they they donated the the entire castle as a school because it was too expensive for them in, in taxes but we knew we knew them they they would come around every year and it I think it was the great grandfather that had the. I mean, it wasn't an old statue; it was fairly recent. They, they just added because they they thought it looked pretty. So, and it was the huntress Diane. We we also had a. Is it obelisk too in English? Yes. Yes, we had an obelisk right in the other part of the wood. So you had like the two points of interest where we would gather, where the statue of Diane and the obelisk. So there were the, the two big main things in the in the, the school. Oh, my wife wants to ask a question. Oh, yes. Huh? I wanted to know if there was anything going on in your life, particularly at the times that you saw the white lady. First of all, hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Every time you're on the podcast, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, one of the episodes of the podcast, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite because it's one you weren't on. The Chicago Demon episode actually really stuck with me because and I, I, I don't want to be sorry I didn't hear. yeah i think she's yeah. one, of, one of my favorites she, she was amazing and the thing is that it really stuck with me because and i, I don't want to be like over dramatic uh, i don't want to be like sad or anything but i've had a not a very easy life and the the thing is that most of my family i mean my especially my mom's family They've had a lot of experiences with the paranormal. That's why the, this episode was so strong with me because uh, I also struggle with addiction. Uh, and, and hearing that episode was really like a big, big blow. It, it was incredible. 
And so going back, I think it was like, that's also one of the reasons why I've never been scared, I think, and I've never associated the entire place with fear because things at my home were so bad that going to school was so nice. Like everything that happened at school had to be nice. Uh So I associated everything about that school to something positive. So, so the white lady was also like, she couldn't definitely be bad. She, she was nice. But also, as I mentioned, I have a lot of problems with insomnia. I have really, really bad insomnia. And I used to have very strong nightmares. And that's actually, and it's good that you asked me this question because I wanted to mention this and I had totally forgot about it. I still, to this day, have nightmares but specifically about this area of the woods. I have super pleasant dreams about the entire rest of the high school, Uh but this area of the woods, I have very strange dreams that are very strong nightmares. And it's always about just being in the woods and there's something scary around me and I don't see what it is. And it's just like pure anxiety of being (laughs) in the the woods. Yeah, just the unknown. And the thing is that it's, it's not exactly in that part of the woods. It's like just slightly the the right and then I, when I was thinking about it and, and when I was talking to my classmates we realized like huh this is an area of the woods we never went into and we would go everywhere in the woods because well most of the time we we're trying to run away from teachers or when we we're skipping <laughs> class or stuff like that and there was this one area of the woods we would never go to and it was just past the ravine that I mentioned so we would see the the white lady in between the green carpet and the ravine, and beyond that ravine, we never went there. And I realized like I have nightmares about the place when I went there like twice. And talking to my old classmates, we were like, yeah, no one ever went there, which is weird also because it was the most effective shortcut to go to the village, like to, to buy to go buy stuff, and we never went there. So I don't know what was going on with that area, but but it's the only area I associate with like that personal stuff, like nightmares. And but the rest of the time, and I mean, uh, like she's someone that would almost make you feel calm as if she was watching over the place, you know, like helping the little, making sure the little kids didn't go in the woods or maybe seeing her at a time that was stressful where she would calm you and sort of ground you. Was it, did it feel like that or? No, it didn't feel like that. It really felt like, when I say it felt like no big deal, like it felt so familiar and Uh it felt like so normal that it it wasn't, it wasn't even calming. It was just like, well, seeing your classmates when you go to class. (laughs) It was like yeah she, she's just like she's one of the she's one of us she, she's just like she lives there we live there and so it was like a very casual relationship if I can <laughs> say that an apparition but like that's that's really how it felt and to me that makes it seem all the more believable you know sometimes you hear people's stories and they sound so fantastic and they're the exact embodiment of everything you would want in a ghostly story to me this is, sounds so much more genuine because it it's so matter of fact. Yeah, and the thing is that I had stories from almost every single one of the classmates I reached out to, but the thing is that I'm really sure like a lot of us saw her like way more times than we can remember because I think a lot of time we didn't even register it. You know, like exactly like seeing your math teacher when you're going to get <laughs> lunch because like, yeah, it's my math teacher. Of course I'm going to like, of course it's going to pass me by when I'm going around the, the hallways to go get my lunch because that's where he lives he's the math teacher he's at school so and that's very much how it felt every time and that's why i think a lot of stories are about actually i'm just realizing it now talking with you that a lot of the stories are about people who are smoking or people who are like talking because you know it's 
like the times where you're standing and doing nothing. So you have to notice whatever you're looking oh, at. Yeah, much yeah. more. Uh -huh. And also be quiet because the teacher might notice that you're smoking. <laughs> so you're looking everywhere to see, is there anyone who's going to, to tell on us? <laughs> It's so fascinating. I love hearing this story. And I have this whole idea in my head of what this looks like, what, this place, which may or may not be. Didn't true. I show you the picture? You did, but I didn't. I wanted to look more, but I wanted to have part of it in my head <laughs> so that I could. Can I just say, you people are absolutely welcome in my house anytime you want. If you ever want to visit it, I will give you a, a guided tour. <laughs> And also you, you mentioned like personal life in my family. And as I mentioned, like from in my mom's family, we have a lot of ghost stories. And the thing is that the white lady wasn't the first time I saw uh, an apparition, I, you could say. And like it wasn't the last either. So, I mean, it's not my like my only paranormal experience, if, if I could use this word, these words. So, and the thing is that it, once again, it felt very different from the... I mean, I, I saw what I would qualify as ghost only two other times in my life, and it felt very different from seeing the white lady. Like scarier or...? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, one, one of the times, uh, it was actually in the same city where, where, um, where I used to live, so the city where we have the, the light event with the white lady area. I was with one of my, my friends, and we saw someone, I mean, we saw an apparition uh, in one of the streets very late at night. And it didn't feel scary, but it felt very confusing and it felt very eerie and like it wasn't normal. Like it really, I, I wasn't scared, but it really felt like it wasn't normal. Out well, with the, the white lady, it totally felt like it was absolutely like casual and normal to see her. To me, that distinction between the two different kinds of ghost, lack of a better word, is really fascinating to me. I don't know if it's because they're different in nature or if it's just because... I mean, it might sound stupid, but if it were people like, yeah, meeting a strange person you don't know at night in a, an unfamiliar street always feels kind of scary. That's but true. like seeing your, as I mentioned, seeing your classmate at school is the least scariest thing in the world because that's exactly what you would expect. So I think that maybe it's just because of the familiarity, maybe because she was a, a strange familiar, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll end the call right now. But um, <laughs> I very much believe that's also why she, she felt so familiar. She was never, we were never scared to see her. I think my brother and his friends expressed the most discomfort at this, but I think it's mostly because they aren't my friends. And so when they told the story, they were just un uncomfortable because they thought I would judge them in the, you're <laughs> uh -huh. telling a good story, how, how silly. But all of my other friends were like, yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, we saw her. Like everyone saw her. Whatever. Like it's it's not even a thing. I mean, at at one point it becomes so normal. It's not even paranormal. Like it's like yeah, not even a ghost. It's just someone who lives there, and we also live there. So it's a neighbor. It's not not a not a ghostly apparition. This has been incredibly fascinating. There's a strong tradition, I guess, throughout the world, but it's interesting that it varies in not only in different countries, but in in the different regions of France. They take these different forms or these different meanings. That's uh, incredibly interesting. And I wanted to thank you to, for bringing not only your stories, but for all the research you did as well. Well, thank you. Also, if you have any questions or like any interest about French folklore or anything, like you can totally send me an email whenever. And if you get any email of people who want information from me, like you can totally forward it to me. Uh, I'd be very happy to answer people's questions. Very good. Thank you so much, Ness.
This was wonderful, incredibly informative, <laughs> uh, wonderful stories. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for contacting me, and uh, I hope we'll get a chance to talk to you again. Thank you. Seeing the White Lady wasn't Inessa's only encounter. She had two other encounters. If you are a patron, you will get to hear Ines describe those other two encounters. I will post that show for patrons in the upcoming weeks. Again, to become a patron, you go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you have seen a ghostly apparition of a woman in white or anything else strange, if you've had any experience with the paranormal, and you'd like to share your story, please email me, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com If you're on Facebook, check out the Strange Familiars Gathering Facebook group. Join and share stories, creations, interact with other listeners, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.